I was listening to a sermon this week and and in the sermon they it was on the Ten Commandments actually on one of the commandments in regards to um, not lying and as the pastor was preaching he said so many times uh, during worship he asked to stop in the middle of worship and just stop singing because he realizes I'm lying to you God and you know, and right during worship, he's he's breaking the commandment of thou shalt not lie because he's singing a song like, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And realizing that right there in that moment, uh, he really doesn't mean it. And, and you know, so many other worship songs that we sing, because um, those words, those words to that type of song are powerful. Do we really desire God to create a new spirit within me? Do we really desire God to do that kind of great work in us and, and to change us and to change our lives? Um, and if we don't, we really should stop singing the song. Um, but if we really do, um, some of those songs would bring us to tears as we cry out to God and, and ask God to do that great and wonderful work in us. And it's the only work that God is able to do. Um, we will not find that answer. We will not find that work anywhere else. We won't be able to do it on our own. It's only through the power of God, through God himself, that he can create a new spirit within us. And before we jump into our, our scripture for today and our message for today, I do want to share, um, again, in regards to communion. And next Sunday we will be celebrating communion. I, I share this for those that are on the Internet watching uh, the sermon and watching our, our worship services. 
that as part of our worship service next Sunday, we will be celebrating communion. Um, if you are local, um, please reach out to the church if you want someone to bring a communion cup to you. Um, and certainly, if you, um, if you have some grape juice and some bread or a wafer or whatever it is at, at your house, if you do want to celebrate communion with us, I wanted to make everyone aware that we are celebrating communion on October 4th, uh, next Sunday. Um, as we get to the scripture passage today, um, probably everything that you have in front of you, well, at least that one's right. I think the next one's wrong. Everything that I have in front of me, I should say I had the wrong chapter in the Bible. And I kept looking and saying, man, why do I keep wanting to go to Matthew 20? But we are on Matthew 21, uh, verses thir- 23 through 32. So if you have your Bibles, I do ask you to open that up uh, to turn to those verses, to keep them open. I'm going to look at another parable, to look at some sayings that happened um, as Jesus was in the temple and to understand what God wants to say to us and try to answer that question in our own lives, which son am I? God's word says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they will all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work, in my, work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first they answered. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have given us your word to speak to our hearts, to, to quicken to our souls. You've given us your word to change us, to correct us, to teach us rebuke us. Train us in righteousness. Lord, I ask that you do a great work in each of our lives through your word this morning. Help us to have an understanding of what you want to say to us today of a parable that you shared so many years ago. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for speaking into our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And yeah, I did see that dime rolling across the floor while I was praying. <laughs> it's the little things in life. If you think that you can get away with anything out there, it just, it's not a reality. It's, you, um, anybody that has been a teacher, anybody that has been a teacher in their lives, you know, you always think that the teacher has eyes in the back of their head. No, it's just every little movement you just pick up and you see. And then it just becomes what you do with it. And so I pick because I saw a dime going rolling across. But it's mine now. But 
See, I could go down and I could get it. The other person would be, isn't brave enough to go get it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Matthew 21. Uh, we have a challenging question ahead of us. This question, I turn around, which son am I? I, I can look this way now. Which son, which son am I? And you can look at this parable and you really quick get to an answer. And I don't want us to just jump into an answer um, until we go through this and understand a little bit about this. Uh, today's scripture passage, it does give, give us this challenging um, question. Now, Jesus was presented with a challenging question himself. And with it, he turned around and he asked a challenging question right back to get an answer from the, the teachers uh, and from the elders. And with that, we spin into this question that I brought forward of which son am I? And so we have to face this question. And if we refuse to face the question, then by refusing to face the question, we're really answering the question. And so I do want us to get to that point where at the end we can say, this is the son I am, and to find ourselves in that answer. Um, In Luke 19.10, Jesus, he declares, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If anybody comes to you and asks you the question and says, what did Jesus come to do? If you go and ask other people and say, what did Jesus come to do? do?" You will get all kinds of answers. Uh, You will get all kinds of fanciful answers. Uh, You will get things like, he came to teach us to be good. Uh, He came to show us the right way to live. He, He came to teach us how to treat others. He came to show us how to love other people. He, he came to show us how to pray, um, to, to live a religious life. Uh, he showed us how to walk in humility. And, and while all those kinds of answers are very, are very good and they're partially true, the reality is the answer to that question of what did Jesus came to do is by Jesus' words himself. I came to seek and to save the lost. And if I can keep that question in, in, in the context and in my understanding, then I understand this parable and I understand this situation that Jesus was walking through with the teachers and the elders at this point. Uh, because we understand that Jesus is here to seek and to save the lost. That was his primary mission. That was being about the Father's business, was to seek and to save the lost. From Jesus' birth, it pointed forward to the cross where Jesus would die for the sins of the world. It pointed forward to the point where he would then be resurrected. It pointed forward to the point where he would ascend into heaven and sit down at the right hand of the Father. And so with Jesus seeking and saving the lost, the question still stands, which son am I? Where do I fit in this, pa- in this picture, in this little passage of Scripture that we have before us, this tiny little parable, which son am I? And Jesus does break this into two different categories of sons. And I know which son I want to be. I know which son I want to be. And I think we can all answer that question real quick. I know what son I want to be. But I want us to answer the question, which son am I? Which son am I? And so Jesus does give us, um, with his teaching that he gives to the, the teachers and the elders, he gives us this little perspective. And so the two sons, I want to go, here's one son. One son is the chief priest and the elders of the people uh, who presented Jesus with this whole question. Uh, when we start out and we say, you know, Jesus entered the temple courts and while he was there teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. There's one son. So if we're going into our story and trying to understand the story a little bit, one of the sons is the chief priest and the religious authorities of that day. I believe they're more of of an example of 
the one son. And the one son is a lot broader than that, but that's specifically who Jesus is talking to. If you opened up a who's who in religion in Jesus' day, you would open it up, and there on the first page you may find the chief priest. And you went to the next page in the who's who of religion and flipped the book over, you would find the elders, the teachers of the law. You flip the page over, you'd find the Pharisees. You flip the page over, you'd find the Sadducees. You would find the religious leaders, who's who in religion in Jesus' day. These were the people who were in charge. These are the people who, would, when they would walk down the street, there would be crowds of people that would follow them and hang on every word that they said. These are the people, when they stood up to walk out, everybody else would stand up and walk out. They were the people, when they stood up to walk in, people would stand up to walk in. They followed them and hung on every movement, every word that they said. And they were the ones setting the example for the crowds to follow. They were the ones that, if they were faithful in the little things, other people would be faithful in those little things. And if they were the ones that were not being faithful, then the others followed in their suit. And with this, Jesus saw right through their facade. They presented themselves quite right in everything that they did. And that's why they challenged Jesus, because they believed that they were right in everything they did. If you skip forward in the Bible a couple chapters to Matthew 23, it's where Jesus just rips them apart. If you, want to, if you want to hear Jesus just ripping somebody apart, read Matthew chapter 23, and you get, Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. He calls them all kinds of names, um, which is quite interesting. That Jesus, If you said, hey, well, Jesus never called people names. Yes, he did. He called them broods of vipers. He called them blind fools. He called them hypocrites. He called them snakes. All kinds of things that we find in Matthew chapter 23. This is how he referred to the religious leaders of the day, the who's who in religion. And he called them out for who they were and how they were misleading the people and called them all kinds of names. And that is the one son in our story. Now, before we go any further, I want to bring this forward to us. Who fits into this category? Who potentially falls into the category of the chief priest of the elders? The reality is, who potentially falls into this category? Every single one of us. Every single one of us falls into this category. Anyone who is attempting to find their way to God, but being really good, falls into this category. Anyone who is trying to find their way to God by good works, by obedience, by being right, by doing things right, or any other system of merit, falls into this one-son category. That's who the chief priest and that's who the elders of the people were. We were doing everything right. And every movement, every word out of their mouth was right. And they were very careful to make sure it was always right. And any system of religion in the world, no matter which religion you pick, is a system of merit except for Christianity. And so anyone who is trying to get to God trying to find their way through life by having a certain standard of being right, is this son. Jesus at one point refers to them as whitewashed tombs. Everything was right on the outside, but nothing was right on the inside. And so there's one son, and I want to jump over and talk about the other son. And the other son's alluded to in verses 26, uh, where the response to Jesus was, we are afraid of the people. And then Jesus gets a little bit more specific later on when he talks about the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Jesus picked two people out from society of that day 
And if I talk about the chief priests and the elders, we're in the who's who of religion of that day. Now we're going to move to the who's who and the dregs of society nobody likes in that day. And we move to the chief we move to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And it's quite interesting. Here we are 2,000 years later, uh, probably ranked the same way. No one likes to see the tax bill come in the mail. And we probably feel the same way about prostitution. And so we, now we have this other son, this other group of people. And, and who are these people? They're the people who weren't doing everything right. They were the people who weren't attempting to find God by having everything squeaky clean. And they were the people who, in the end, ended up following God. Jesus wasn't referring to necessarily to any specific sinful interest, but he was referring to people that were living a different life because of the choices that they had made when they heard the message of John the Baptist. Here's the big story of this message. The people who were living a different life because they heard the message and responded to the message that came from John the Baptist. Now, before we go too much further, I want to bring this forward again to us. Who potentially falls into the category of the tax collectors and the prostitutes, of the sinners of that day? Who potentially falls into that category? And I would say all of us. All of us potentially fall into that category. Because anyone who has truly responded to the gospel message, anyone who is walking in faith, anyone who declares that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, anyone in that category who has been forgiven of their sins falls into the category of the other son of the prostitutes and the tax collectors. So we have two sons. Which son am I? It's interesting in our story, there's no third choice. There's no third choice. I'm either the one or I'm the other. But I don't get to say, well, I want option C. Because there is none. And Jesus doesn't give us one. And so Jesus gives us a point where we have to make a decision, where we're defined by, am I the son that responded and went? Or am I the son that did not? Which son am I? So I want to break this down into three little things for us to understand and go through those three things, uh, break them down and help us to have an understanding. And then I want to come back to the question again at the end for us to answer the question, which son am I? So I want to start off and just talk about the righteous way. Because in this passage we have the benefit of Jesus giving a little bit of an explanation at the end in, in the last verse. We're in this last verse, in verse 32, he talks about, for when John came to show you the way of righteousness. John came to show you the way of righteousness. So right away at the end, in this little bit of explanation, Jesus gives us this, this hint of, well, there's this righteous way. There's this, this way that we can follow Jesus Christ and this way that we can trust in him. So right out of the gate, Jesus shows us this. And in fairness to the chief priests, the elders, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, everybody in our story, in all fairness to the one son, in fairness to the other son, all of them heard the righteous way. All of them heard that message. All of them heard the gospel. All of them were pointed towards Jesus Christ. All of them heard those same words and needed to understand that righteous way was there for them. Now I want to put you on notice. Anyone that is within earshot of me, anyone that ends up hearing this sermon throughout whatever ages as gets recorded and played over and over and over, I want to put you on notice. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Him. Now we're on notice. We also know that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We also know that Jesus is the door of heaven. We also know that His death on the cross was for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's the only way to have forgiveness. We know that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Unfortunately, you're now on notice. You're on on notice. And when I say you're on notice is because you have now heard the righteous way. You have now heard that forgiveness comes by no other man except by Jesus Christ alone. And when one day, no matter what path we're on, when we get in front of God, and He says, "Why why should you come into heaven? And you say, because I was a good boy. And He says, you know, back on... September 27th, 2020, 10.45 Eastern Time, Pastor Ralph said to you that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. Pastor Ralph shared with you that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And you want to come into heaven because you're a good boy? It doesn't work like that. And now we're all on notice. And that's what John the Baptist came to do. John the Baptist came declaring the way of the Lord. What was the righteous way that John the Baptist was declaring? Matthew chapter 3 talks about this. He preached repentance for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We know from Matthew chapter 3 that people were confessing their sins and being baptized. We know that he spoke of producing fruit in keeping with repentance. He talked about baptizing with water for repentance, but one was coming who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was pointing the way to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was coming to take away the sins of the world. The one who was coming to seek and to save the lost. That is the righteous way that was being communicated to them and shared and moving forward. And I share about the righteous way that was declared here because we all have skin in the game. If, if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we become the ones who are now declaring the righteous way for other people to hear. And that message needs to continue to go forth from our lips and from our lives. When Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who proclaim good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. The good news flows from our lives. We have beautiful feet. And we take that good news to others and it shines forth into other people's lives where we become the John the Baptist of today declaring the message of the Lord and the way of salvation to others. And from there, we allow others then to hear the question and to make the decision, which son am I? I want to move on from the righteous way I'm going to point out for all of us, there's this point of realization in our lives. This is where we get to start making some decisions on which son am I. Using the parable, there was a point where the first son, the first son who said, hey, I'm not doing it, Dad. (laughs) There's no way. You want me to go out there and work in the vineyard? Going back to last week, if we brought it to today, you want me to be part of that church? There was a point where that son, even after he says, I will not, 
he later changed his mind and he went. There was a realization in his, in his thoughts that he said, what my dad wants me to do must be important. You could say the light came on. And he realized, oh, I get it. This is what my dad wants. Later on, when Jesus is offering his ex- ex- explanation, he uses the words, you did not believe him. Right at the end of verse 32. And you did not repent and believe him. See, for the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the light came on. What John the Baptist is saying is true. There is a Messiah who will forgive us. There is a Messiah who will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And that belief stirred up in their hearts. Yet the Pharisees, the the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the elders, they all heard the same message and they believed him not. And there was no realization in their lives of going and following God in the way that they should. One son went and the other son didn't go at all. Again, a simple choice of direction. Josh McDowell, McDowell wrote a book. He has the title, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And not going into the book at all, but it talks about Jesus Christ and about we need to make a decision on whether we will follow Jesus Christ or not. And this is the decision that Jesus is bringing us to in this little parable. Will we believe or will we not believe? Will we realize that Jesus is the only way to heaven and make a decision to follow him or will we discard that and keep moving on with our system of merit and I'm going to be really good and I'm going to please everybody around us and everybody's going to look at me and I'm going to shine like, the, like a bright star because I never do anything wrong. Even if we come to the point that we have partial belief, partial belief is still not believing. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Oh, we're almost there. Well, when you're almost there, you're not there. We need to come to a point of belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died on the cross for our sins. I like the fact that there are many on a journey that are on that journey to coming to a point of belief and getting to the point where they say, yes, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and what He did for me. But I lament on the fact that there are so many that are stepping off of that path and starting to walk away from their belief and doubting who Jesus is. It's why it is so important that we find ourselves in a group with other believers and, and equipping each other and stirring each other on and helping each other to run the race to the end because we don't want to find ourselves falling off of that path and falling off of the path and wandering away from God. I want to kick it back to the chief priest. Could you imagine being 25 years old, waiting your whole life, waiting your whole life, and you're 25 years old, and they're finally going to let you serve in the temple? Oh, you can't do the big stuff yet. You can't do the big stuff until you're 30. But at 25, you get to be engaged. And you're in the temple, and you're helping out. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus' ministry started at the age of 30 when a, a priest could start to serve. I don't think that's a coincidence at all in God's Word because He's our great high priest. But here you are, 25 years old, and you're excited about serving God and your heart's right and you're following God. And you see everything that's happening in that temple and all the offerings. Oh, you get, the, the, you get to be the guy that takes the dead carcass outside of the town and throw it on the ash heap. But you get to do all the dirty jobs, but at least you're there in the temple serving God. And finally, you're 30 years old as a chief priest. You're part of, 
part of that inside crowd and you're, you have fervor and excitement for God and you're there serving. And then all of a sudden, five years later, ten years later, it becomes a ritual in your life. It becomes something that we do. Oh, we have our feast and we have our festivals and we, we sprinkle the blood on the altar in this way and once a year, one of us gets to go back to the Holy of Holies and, and re- you know, that's really the important guy and, oh, we got to go to the temple again today. And at some point during that journey, between 30 and 50, they lose their fervor and they lost their excitement. Now they're at a point where their heart's nowhere near God. This is what happened in the chief priest. I don't think a chief priest woke up one day and said, I don't believe this God stuff. But something happened in their lives that got them from the place of being excited and a young man growing up. And I I see dad, I'm of the tribe of Levi, and I see dad going to the temple to serve, and now I'm 25 and I get to go serve. Now I'm 30 and I get to go and actually offer sacrifices on behalf of the people and just a fervor for God. And then at some point it just dwindles away and I become a whitewashed tomb. Going through the rituals. I show up on Sunday. Yeah, I still go to Sunday school class, but I don't get anything out of it anymore. You know, they have that special event. Yeah, I guess I'll go. No, maybe I won't go. And the fervor dies out and dwindles and saddens. Our belief starts to go away. Well, maybe God isn't who He really said He was. and My bank account's really not growing, and I thought they promised I'd get rich. And my grandma died, and she was 122 years old, and I can't believe God didn't leave, let her live to be 125. And I know I exaggerate that, but think of the things that we want from God. And our, and our belief starts to wane and wander away. See how we can go from the one son to the other son? See, at one point we might have been that one son in, in the vineyard, in the church, in God's house, in God's ministry, and fervor and excited for God. And all of a sudden we look back and we say, what happened the last two years? When did I become cold and silent? When did I become lukewarm where Jesus wants to spit me out of his mouth? They're the questions we have to ask when we ask the question, which son am I? Today, which son am I? The place that God is calling us is to a place of belief that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and to make a way for us to heaven. We have the righteous way declared by John the Baptist and we have the realization that we have to have belief in God and a fervent belief and hang on to that belief. And then we move on to a reaction. Verse 32. This reaction that we get in verse 32 is Jesus offers the explanation to us where he says, you did not repent. So when we have the, the message that comes to us, the, the, so we go through this life and we have to understand that the reaction that we have is either one of repentance one of ignoring the message of salvation that is in front of us. The reaction of repentance, it's not a New Testament concept, it's a Bible concept. It's not, and I want to explain repentance a little bit. It's not a concept of, oh, I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. That's not repentance. Repentance is not, oh, I got caught. 
oh, I, I sinned against God and, and He's seen what I did, so I'm going to say I'm sorry because I got caught. That's not repentance. Repentance and, and defined, and you'll hear people preach about repentance over and over, about it's turning and going the other way. It's going the opposite direction. The word, the word repentance has a deeper meaning, and I want you to understand this deep meaning of the word of repentance. This is something that I think we can walk with in our lives spiritually. The word, of, the word repentance has a deep meaning that is to change our thought, to change our thinking. It's one thing to say, I'm not going to do that. And so, Lord, forgive me, I, I'm repentant. And then to go right back and do it again. Because my thought never changed. My mind was never transformed. And when we talk about repentance, when we talk about this reaction that they had, we're talking about God changing our thinking. That God's getting rid of our stinking thinking and renewing our minds where we think about things in a beautiful and righteous way. Where we don't have a desire to run back into it. Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Do you know that Jesus denounced towns where most of his miracles had been, been performed? Because they didn't repent. He denounced the whole town because they did not repent. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. In 2 Timothy 2.25, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, lending them to a knowledge of the truth. I want you to understand, take that definition of changing my thinking. He's going to change my thought. And I'm going to go back to 2 Timothy 2.25, and I'm going to fill that in. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them a change of thought that will lead them to a knowledge of the truth. If I go back to 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings a change of thought that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Do you understand what is being said when we read the word repentance? That our thinking changes that I do not have a desire for sin anymore. It's a place where when we, before we know Jesus Christ, there's a satisfying nature that we try to, to get out of sin and we keep chasing after sin. And, and no matter what it's like, we, we want to keep chasing after it. Our changing thinking says that is now distasteful and I find my fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Do you get the change of the thinking? Christian people who are following God and have a deep desire for God don't ever go and say, well, God told me that I should leave my wife. That's stinking thinking. That's stinking thinking. Christian people, when they get into a sinful situation, no matter what it be, immediately are quickened to their heart where God says, oh, you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be looking at that. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. And he keeps changing our heart and changing our heart and transforming us into who he wants us to be. 
But if I have no repentance, if I have no desire to change my thinking, to think in the way that God would, if I have no desire to go there, then I'm the, I'm the other son. I'm the son that wants to do everything right and make everything look good on the outside, even though my heart is rotten to the core. And God's saying, the people that looked rotten to the core were willing to change their heart and think differently and walk away from their sin and find it distasteful and not something I want to go back to. We are told we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that's the work that God will do in us when we avail ourselves and allow God to do that work. In the two sons, one came to a realization, a belief that, Dad, he does want me to go into the vineyard. And he changed his thought and he went into the vineyard. Then we have the other son that says, yeah, I'll go. But he ignored what dad desired and he had no intention of going ever. When he told dad and said, yeah, I'll go do it. I will, sir. He had no intention. He just wanted to look good to dad. In the end, are we trying to make ourselves look good to God? Are we really trying to make ourselves look good to God? Throughout the Bible, there's all kinds of stories about repentance, about God changing people's lives. And one of those classic stories is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the little man, we little man was he. He climbed up into the sycamore tree to see what he could see. And, and he climbs up in there, and he just wanted to see Jesus. He had no intention on a transformation. He just get up in the tree so I can see this guy that everybody's talking about. He is a tax collector. He's the dreg of society. He's the one that nobody likes. No one wants to be with Zacchaeus. And Jesus changes his life. He says, Zacchaeus, get down out of that tree. I want to go to your house and eat tonight. Let's go to, go to your house and eat. And Zacchaeus, his heart has changed. He believes. He believes. He realizes who Jesus Christ is. And he repents. He has a reaction of repentance. Where if I have cheated anybody, I'll return to them. I think it's tenfold. I didn't look it up. You can look it up and tell me if I'm right or wrong. That's repentance. A change of his heart. A change of his thinking where he now wants to follow God. I don't know if Zacchaeus stopped being a tax collector or not. Maybe he became the most honest tax collector in Roman history. God didn't say you have to stop being a tax collector, but he certainly would, be, would have become an honest tax collector. But God does call us to repentance and to move away from our sin. Yet all of this comes back to us. And it comes back to a question. Which son am I? Have I become like the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Have I become a dead man walking? Have I become a whitewashed tomb? Have I become all nice and pretty on the outside, and then on the inside there is nothing changing? My heart desires to still be in sin. Or am I realizing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has the power to change me? And the more I pour His Word into my life, the more I spend time in, with him in prayer, the more I spend time with other Christian believers, that there is a change in my life and he's transforming my heart to get rid of the stinking thinking and to think like the son that he really wants. 
a forgiven son. Which son are you? Which son am I? Are we washed? Are we clean? Do we fall to our knees and say, God, forgive us? There's only two sons in our story. Only two. I'm hoping by now you've chosen which son you want to be. I know which one I want to be. God's waiting for your answer. Which son are you? Which son am I? Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, in this short little parable, short little parable that talks about two sons, I know you put us all on the spot, Lord. We do have to choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. Which son am I? Will will we be a people that believe your forgiveness? Will we be a people that believe we need to turn away from sin? To have our thinking changed? That there's no more desire for sin? Only you can do that great work in us, Lord. I ask you to forgive us, Lord. Hear our desires in our hearts. Even right now, Lord, in our our chairs this morning, wherever we may be, Lord, hear the cry of our heart that we want to be that son that goes to work in your vineyard. We want to be the son that responds to you. Lord, give us faith. Give us belief. Lord, help us to make the right reaction that we repent and follow you. In this day that you have made, that we'll rejoice and be glad in it because you have forgiven us and you have set us free from sin, from the bondage of sin. You've washed us and you've cleansed us. You've taken our dead hearts and you've brought them back to life. You've rejuvenated us. You've poured your spirit into us. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. May we be the son that follows you wherever you want us to go. Help us to choose the right path today. Lord, I ask you to continue to bless us and keep us. Lord, help us to find our our way into your word each and every day. Help us to find our our way into our, our prayer time with you each and every day. Lord, help us to find ourselves in fellowship with other believers and growing in our faith each and every day, Lord. Help us to spur one another on to good works. Help us to be encouragers of each other. Help us to be a people that walk by faith and not by sight. And that we see the great and wonderful things that you will continue to do. Both in our hearts today and in our hearts tomorrow. You're our great God. We love you. You have called us according to your purposes. Help us to go fulfill them in your strength, giving you the glory. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.